Welcome to the Focus Professional Podcast. This is episode six, and I'm Joe Linton. Welcome to the Focus Professional Podcast. Today we've got a special guest on, Neil Shearer. Hi, Neil. Hey, Joe. How are you doing? Great to be here. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. Uh, I got to know Neil from the uh, the Societies of Photographers, and he has recently had some real success with them at the recent convention. Um, he has achieved his fellowship, and he's also won a nice trophy as well. What was that trophy for then, Neil? Uh, so that trophy was the uh, Advertising and Commercial Photographer of the Year in the 2016 print competition, which was a total surprise, if I'm being honest. Well, that's fantastic, though. It's, it's lovely, especially when it is a surprise, you know, just to have something like that come out of nowhere. Uh, fantastic year for you. Yeah, it's been it's been a really good start to the year, honestly. Um, the project that I've been shooting for about 18 months Obviously, I put this in for my fellowship, and that was my main focus of the convention, was to come get this, fellow, get this fellowship in in a way that felt right to me, mm-hmm. and just to see, see how it did, see how well it was received. And it turns out it was pretty well received. Well, you know, it passed. You can't, <laughs> you can't ask for more than that. Exactly. <laughs> so what sort of thing are you, are you normally photographing? I saw your um, winning image was a shoe. Um, you do quite a few of those, don't you? I do. So uh, shoes, especially, really started during lockdown because the majority of my business as commercial photographer has been shooting athletes and sports mm-hmm. uh, and everything to do with sports. So it would be products, people, uh, very little live action, which is what most people think of when you say you photograph sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously during lockdown, all the athletes went away, all the brands went away. And I was uh, stuck mm. with two children at home and not very much to photograph. Um, and I've been into shoes for quite a long time. Um, and then, yeah, I just started photographing them in lockdown. Started, I did a 30-day project, 30-day personal project, where I'd shoot a different pair of shoes every day. So mm. I'd con- concept, create, uh, output, and then post by the end of the day. And that's kind of where it all came from. That's where the love of photographing shoes came from and slowly it's built into people actually paying me to do this which still doesn't feel very real but <laughs> it's wonderful when you get paid for doing something that you enjoy doing and you, you must have enjoyed it to do one every day for 30 days it's quite a discipline and if it's not something you're interested in I should think come day 12 or something you're thinking why on earth did I choose to do this <laughs> I mean, I mean how, how easy was it for you to keep yourself motivated it was it was actually quite easy because it was probably the first time in maybe three, six months that I'd actually picked up a camera and I had that excitement back. Mm. You know, every morning I would wake up and be like, okay, what am I going to shoot today? So I'd, I'd know which pair of shoes I was going to photograph, but I hadn't done any prep work ahead of time. It's like, right, I'm forcing myself to be creative within this maybe two or three hour window because I still had kids to take care of. My wife was working Mm. Right, right the way through. So it's like I've got three hours. What, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to create? And um, yeah, this, this, what I came up with. And some of them I'm really kind of stand by and still have in my portfolio now. Mm-hmm. Some of them just kind of shuffle off to the side. Not, not my greatest, but it was a, it, as a creative exercise, it was really interesting. Well, it's, it's the thing is, it's all always a learning curve, and when you're experimenting and doing something new. Uh, you know, people sometimes think, well, you know, if I don't get what I want sort of straight away, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this and just, just sort of quit too easily. Um, whereas, you know, you, you clearly understand that the creative process is also accepting that you're not going to get it all right. Absolutely. Uh, it took me a long time to realise that. I'm not ashamed to admit it. When mm. I first started out entering competitions, I would create an image, maybe even specifically for a competition. I would put it in, it would get maybe a 77. And I would think, right, that's it, rubbish. I'm never going to do anything like that again. 
move on, I need to find something that is going to capture their attention and something that's going to score into the 80s plus. Yeah. And it, it, did, it took a long time for me to realise that every result that you get, you can learn from, whether it wins best of the year, mm. whether it wins photographer of the year, or whether it gets, uh, whether it scores 70. Mm. Every image you can learn from, you can look back at the images that didn't do so well and go, okay, well, why didn't it do so well? Yeah. And now, so I put three, three Im- I only entered three images this year in the 20 by 16 competition because I ran out of time, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and only one of the images was hanging. I think the other two scored 77 and 78. Um, and at the time, again, I was really disappointed because I was like, these are really great images. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since I've gone back and looked at them and gone, oh, actually, well, that one wasn't so great because dot, 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 the light was coming from the wrong angle. Sure, um, yeah. I was listening to your podcast with Hannah this morning and she was talking about composites. Yeah. And I shoot, I've shoot. i shot a lot of composites for a long time, predominantly photography-based, so I'd shoot the background, shoot the athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ones I've started doing recently have been more building a background in CGI and then yeah. shooting the model in the studio. And I'd got so caught up with creating this really immersive environment that mm. I had the light coming from a different direction to where mm. the main light was hitting the athlete. And it's like, that's a rookie error when you're talking about mm. composites. It's it's such an easy mistake to make, unfortunately. Absolutely. And yeah. it's, it, it's, it's so often it's one of the reasons why composites just don't quite work. The brain looks at it and thinks, hmm, something's not quite right there. And uh, it's helpful when you can get someone who can really put their finger on what that is. Because so often, so many of us, we look at these images and we can't quite tell, why is that not quite there? And yeah, yeah the direction of light is such a such a big one. Um, I, mean, I suppose the good thing is with the CGI build is you've got the set there. You can like redo it and move the light <laughs> if you need to. Absolutely. I mean, that is, that is very lucky. I don't need to go out and photograph anything else. If I was going to rework this image, it would be a very simple thing to just drag yeah. the light to the other side and everything would update accordingly. Yeah. Which is why it was so annoying that it was such a simple, such a th- simple thing to miss. But I'm definitely guilty of it. When I start working on an image, I'm 100% focused on this image mm. and it's very easy to lose sort of the bigger picture. I'm looking at the micro details rather than the macro yeah. from, a, from a distance. So uh, when, when I can, when I get the opportunity, I always like to wait 24 hours before posting anything or before sending to my clients. So I'll do all the edits, step mm. away, leave it for a day and then come back and go, okay, what have I missed? Mm. What, what, what could be improved? And obviously you don't yeah. always get that opportunity when you're shooting for clients, but I try, no. I try to do it when I can. But for personal projects, it's quite a yeah, it's quite a good one. I've certainly had instances where I've posted something on social media and come and looked at it a couple of hours later and thought, uh, "Oops." <laughs> 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 and you know, you think, "Oh, I hope no one sees it," but then you look at your sort of contacts list on your social media and you think, "Oh yes." There's definitely a few people on there that are going to see that. (laughs) And they're the ones that are absolutely going to notice that one single tiny mistake. Yeah. So you you did this sort of personal project on on, on trainers. Do you just like to collect them or do you occasionally use them as well? Uh, All the trainers that I've got, I wear. I'm not not one of these people that will uh, get a pair of trainers and then keep them in a box for 10 years and just Uh look, look at them and take them out every now and again. Um, most of the trainers that I've got uh, have come from clients. They've been um, people that have sent me shoes to photograph, mm-hmm. uh, either for product or for creative work. Uh, and some of them I get to keep, some of them I have to send back. Uh, but I think I've got about 60 pairs at the moment. If my, wow. wife, if my wife's listening to this, it's, it's, it's fewer than that. Fewer than absolutely, yeah. yeah. Couldn't be possibly <laughs> be more than about 20, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are they are they all sorts of different types or are they mainly for running uh no i've got about four pairs of running trainers um but the ones that i i guess i collect are more they're all just fashion they're all they're all they're predominantly nike mm-hmm. uh because that is they make the best shoes in my opinion um this program is not sponsored by nike by the way <laughs> <laughs> and i have never worked for nike yet although <laughs> anyone from Nike is listening to this podcast then you know where I am 
<laughs> Subtle hint, we shall mention Neil's website link later when we have the, uh, the, the, the link on the podcast there. There will be a link to his website. So um, yeah, anybody from Nike who happens to be listening who is not sponsoring this podcast in any way whatsoever, please do have a look and hire Neil. Yeah. <laughs> So um, the the running, do you get a lot of time uh, to do that? Is that something that you uh, find it good to make time for? So running for me is a huge uh, release. It's when I get headspace. It's when I get to just think about the things I want to think about and can just put everything else to one side and take an hour out of my day, an hour, two hours, sometimes more. Um, and it does so much for me rather than just, it's, it's not just exercise. It's not just keeping fit. You know, mm. if I've got problems, uh, that I need to solve either creatively, personally, anything else, I'll spend a bit of time, you know, thinking about these things before I go out and run, especially if I've got a creative brief that mm. I just can't quite get my head around. Um, I'll spend maybe half an hour brainstorming, mood boarding, uh, really intense, focus on this problem and then shut everything down, put it to one side and go out and run for two hours. Mm. And guaranteed at some point on that run, my brain's going to start firing and connections are going to be made. And I'll more than once I've had to stop mid run and get my phone out and go, okay, let's jot down these ideas. (laughs) Um, Excellent. And you know, it's something to start with once you get back and like so many times when I give myself that headspace away from a problem Mm. is when the ideas start coming and the solutions start presenting themselves but no running for me is huge again this is something else i started in lockdown i'd never really run before lockdown uh and this january just gone uh, i think i managed to run 500 kilometers in january as wow. uh, as a little challenge for me little for, little challenge okay not, yeah not, uh, that not, might not take me else. about 500 days i think that would probably take me <laughs> another thing about me is i've got quite an addictive personality so when i do something i'm either a hundred percent in mm-hmm. or i don't bother i can't do it at all fair so enough like, no half run, measures there running yeah. running is very much uh taking that form so i quite often run ultra marathons which is uh, a marathon distance plus so 50 miles is my distance Oh, gosh, that makes me feel tired thinking about it. Yes. <laughs> so um, is, is that something that you do competitively or just sort of to relax? I'm never going to be the fastest. Never going to be the fastest runner. But I will always keep going. And the ultra marathons that I've done take me anywhere between 8 hours and 18 hours was the longest one. Mm. Um, and... Just having that time, just knowing that you're going to be out for a full day, you can walk if you need to, you can eat when you want to, chat to new people, make new friends. Mm. You know, everyone's in the same boat because you're all a bunch of lunatics that are out running up mountains <laughs> for six, 16 hours a day. So you've instantly got that something in common that you yeah. can look around and go, you know, wow, look, look where we are. We're so lucky to be here. We we mm. get we get to do this. Like so many people that run those kind of distances before they run those kind of distances they have it in their head that it's gonna it's just gonna it's just suffering the whole time yeah and there's only one race that i've done where i really felt like that it really felt like why why do i put myself through this the Mm -hmm. other times it's been like you know i i get i choose to do this i get to do this i'm lucky that i have the opportunity to do this so um, how important would you say it is to have something outside of the photography to to help with your mental health? Oh, honestly, if I didn't have things outside of photography, I would probably have lost my mind by now because mm. running your own business, as you know, can be quite insular. It can be quite lonely at times. Yeah. And having things that I can just sort of put the photography to one side and go, right, I'm going to go to the gym for an hour at lunchtime, see some friends, have a chat, come back afresh and just get that space. I've got a dog mm. as well, so I always go running with my dog and that is one of the most cathartic things I think I, I've mm. ever done. Uh, and obviously I've got two kids as well, so they keep me pretty busy <laughs> aside, away from photography. In fact, it's finding time to do the photography 
that can sometimes be a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting because a lot of um, a lot of you know, very successful photographers will say the sort of same thing. I mean, you know, but they might enjoy the photography. It might be something they, they do because they like doing it. But at the same time, you need that extra something as well where you can just escape, where you can... Uh, I mean, Scott Johnson was sort of talking about a moment where he just sat in, in nature and it was just silent. And uh, just being able to let go a little bit uh, from time to time, um, it's, it's easy to get kind of caught up in that cycle of I've got to keep churning stuff out because there's social media out there that I've got to keep marketing myself it's not just client work it's constantly reminding everybody that you exist and that kind of churn can can take its toll absolutely I mean for me in the last week I've been trying to be more focused on LinkedIn because I'm on LinkedIn mm -hmm. quite a lot and I set myself a goal of posting on LinkedIn every day for a week which was a huge step up for me because it had been previously maybe once every two to three weeks. Yeah. Uh, and the way that I got around that is I kind of set aside three hours at the start of the week and I was like, right, I'm going to batch. I was going to batch edit a bunch of ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was all around the theme of creativity. So I would just sit down on my computer and I was like, right, nothing is off limits. Just kind of have a brain dump about five, six, seven things that I want to say. Mm-hmm and get these ideas down, move on to the next one, get the next one down, uh, and then you kind of go back and flesh it out a little bit. And you've got those three hours that are purely dedicated to content creation. Mm. Uh, and I found that worked really well for me. I was able to come up with these ideas and then I have a photograph in mind that would go with it. And then you create a little hook for LinkedIn and then schedule everything to post. And then that's everything posted, same time every day for a week. Mm. Uh, and that was really interesting for me. It's not something I'm going to be doing every week. You know, I'm mm. not going to be one of these people that suddenly becomes a LinkedIn guru and is like, you must post every day and you must do this. Uh, but I wanted to see how it worked for me. Sure, and it, it, yeah. was, it was really interesting because it got me, I got a lot of new conversations started, got a lot of new connections, quite a few new followers. Mm. Um, so it's, it's definitely worth doing from time to time. I'm going to go back to posting maybe if I can twice a week, if I've got something interesting to say, something mm. interesting to share. And it should really not just be about going, here's my work, here's what I do, this is me, mm. please hire me, because you know, yeah. that, that gets tiring for people to hear. So, it's tiring to keep putting it out, it's tiring to keep listening to it, you know, there needs to be something that engages a bit more, doesn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And education and sharing ideas with other creatives or the photographers is, is is really key to that because like like you say everybody is we're all in this together mm. and you're only really competing against yourself a lot of the time yeah and i i often sort of think that if we can find something that really interests us something that we're passionate about that that it's much better to use that for our marketing in many ways because it comes from the heart it's something that we're not likely to get bored of quickly uh, and there, and therefore it also connects more with other people rather than trying to put out what we think they want to see uh, if we can put out something which is genuine um, it, it's just when you connect with that when you listen to that when you read that uh, you find something that, that that's that much more uh, genuine that's much more sort of consistent you come across the personality and it actually it builds a brand you know it's not just about having to do business related posts and how I solve this problem and that problem um, but actually you know if you can tap into your passion then I'm convinced that um, others will see that and hear that and that that will actually help your brand yeah absolutely uh, personal branding is huge especially on LinkedIn, which is where I get a lot of my clients, a lot of my most interesting connections. Um, there's a woman on LinkedIn who I follow called Joe Bird, who is the lead creative at a place called Lounge. Uh, mm -hmm. And she is posting all the time uh, about personal branding. And she's got a workshop next week, which I'm going to, all about personal branding. And it's all about being authentic mm. and talking about the things that matter to you and the things that you can talk about rather than having mm. to come up with something that you think people want to hear and then going away and researching and just taking other people's words and just regurgitating and putting the same thing out. It's being authentic mm. and having authentic stories yeah, and experiences that you can share with people. I think that's what is the most important thing for me. 
I think especially with small businesses, you're not a big faceless sort of corporate or something hiding behind a logo or something. You're you're a person, you're an individual or in some cases a small team. And it's a great opportunity to harness what's unique about you and um, help people engage with it in that way. Yeah, people buy from people at the end of the day, whether that be um, business to customer, business to business. At the end of the day, it's a person making a decision. So if you can connect with that person on more than just, this is my rate, this is what I do, if you can build a connection with them, then you're halfway there. Mm. Yeah, so that, that I, I think that idea of um, sort of chunking together doing various posts and things is quite a good good idea because it's that little bit of discipline that kind of takes some things that might not be quite so enjoyable and gets them out of the way, I suppose. I mean, in general, in your work, what do you find... Um, makes your work fun and what takes away from that fun for you so for me the most fun part is creating and getting to create for clients when i get is that the shooting shooting stage or um the editing or is it both it's it's both really it's kind of having having an idea at the start you know, sitting down with the client and them going, this is what we want. This is the end goal that we want. How can, how can we get there? How can we solve this problem to get to this point? Mm-hmm. This, yeah. is, this is almost like, this is the story we want to tell. How can we do that with this series of images? And then the process of that, obviously the ideation that you go, you go away and you come up with a bunch of ideas, mood board out. Okay, we're going to use this model. We're going to shoot in this location. Um, the problem that we've got to overcome is xyz you know quite often it's budget how can we get Mm. this location but for this budget yeah so you're quite often creating things uh as composites or using cgi using cgi elements anyway uh to really set the scene and tell the story Mm. and then once you've got that for me again everything comes together in the edit and i love photoshop i spend Mm -hmm. the majority of my time in photoshop I'm I'm comfortable there, and it used to, it scared me a lot for a long time before I knew how to use it. I'd see people at demonstrations just like clicking buttons, and everything would change. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh my god, the color of the background mm. has changed. Yeah, and obviously that's something that's so simple to do. But to somebody who didn't understand Photoshop at all, mm. it was huge, and it was like, whoa! It just getting the right workflow makes a huge difference, doesn't it? Absolutely, just having your own way of doing things. And that's why when I was down at the Society's Convention in January, I tried to attend as many Photoshop talks as I can because there mm-hmm. are so many different ways to do the same things. And yeah. ev- every Photoshop talk I've ever been to, every compositing talk, every retouching talk, I've always come away with, even if it's only just like one little snippet of information that actually can improve my workflow, can speed things up or is a totally mm. new way of working. And yeah, you always, always got to, always got to keep learning, always improving. So, have you always kind of looked at this type of commercial image, these composites, and thought that's what I want to do, or have you evolved into doing that? I mean, is this when you when you started out with photography, did you think you'd go the commercial route? To be honest, when I first started out, I'll try not to go too far back, but I. Got my first camera in 2004, which is obviously 20 years ago Mm -hmm. this year. Uh, And it was when I went to Brazil. So I had the opportunity to go to Brazil for six months. So I bought a film camera. I think I shot maybe 20 rolls of film while I was there, Mm -hmm. which is, let's be generous and say, maybe 600 pictures in six months. Okay. I mean, I think I've shot, I I usually shoot about 600 pictures now on an average average client (laughs) shoot in in the space of a couple of hours. Uh, and I came back from there and I got all the photos processed. And I think the entire time I never took the camera off auto. It was just capturing the the sites, basically. The people, mm-hmm. the locations. And I just completely fell in love with photography from that point on. And then I sort of started photographing more sports because I was quite big into sports. And then I had some friends who were doing some modelling. So I tried a bit of that. And then some friends who were getting married, so I started shooting some weddings. Um, but I never really found something that grabbed my interest. Mm-hmm. And it was only really when I started taking it a bit more seriously. Um, I joined Damien McGillicuddy's Mentor Me on Steroids group about 
14 years ago, I think. Uh, right. still, there, still there now. And that was kind of opened my eyes to the fact that you could be a photographer without having to be a wedding photographer or a family portrait photographer. Yeah. Until that point, these were kind of the only two avenues that I thought, this is, this is what photographers do. I was very, very naive at the time. I think a lot of people just assume that, you know, I mean, when it's like whenever I've been sort of to networking groups or whatever, and I, I, I kind of stopped saying I'm a photographer in a way and finding another way of putting it because people always assume weddings and portraits. It just yeah. seems to be the natural for, for everybody, really. I've oh. never done a single wedding ever at all, oh. and I have no intention of ever doing one. <laughs> you're, you're very lucky. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of interesting that, um, you know, even for you that that was that kind of journey thinking, oh, there are other ways of earning a living here yeah absolutely so i first went down to the society's convention i think about 12 years ago um when damien convinced me to do a licentiate panel um he neglected to tell me that people don't really do licentiate panels printed at the convention so i just rocked up with my 20 pictures mm -hmm. put them all up and everyone was like oh wow goodness me somebody's very brave doing a licentiate here in front of all these people and I was like sorry what in front of who what? <laughs> and then obviously there was there was a room full of people and it was one of the most terrifying experiences in my life but after that panel uh, there was a guy called George Fairbairn who came in and put his fellowship panel in and it was it, it totally blew me away it changed my opinion on what photography could be because it was all uh, predominantly shots of bands they'd shot mm -hmm. for magazines and so they were like super creative composites people just in like the most amazing colorful photography almost like some special effects going on it was just like it really blew my mind and I was like okay mm. okay and I could my the cogs started whirring and I was like okay this is this is something I could get on board with and that kind of changed my outset of my mindset of what actually you could achieve with photography so that that was a really big thing for me yeah. uh, and from there it just kind of developed i mean i've always been into sport ever since i was little i've done football rugby i did capoeira for 10 years which is a brazilian martial art that's what led me to go into brazil um, now i do crossfit for the last 10 years and so when it came to focusing in on one thing in particular sport was the natural thing and being from manchester which is obviously the greatest sporting city in the world um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tongue, yeah, tongue yeah. firmly in cheek there for those who live in london um it just seemed like a natural thing because there were so many opportunities for shooting sports and athletes um around the manchester area that it kind of seemed like a no-brainer and that was where i started my professional photography journey in that direction so it's, it was kind of like your your passions coming together then over a period of time. You knew you liked sport and then you found photography and it gradually developed um, sort of from that then, sort of a combination of things that you're already interested in in a way. Um, but yeah, we can't always necessarily see where these things lead. I mean, at the moment, um, I've been seeing you, you've been posting a bit about sort of creativity. You're very passionate about um, about creativity, and it it looks like are you are you sort of trying to re-educate people a bit about that? Um, I was reading one of your posts recently on LinkedIn, and um, it seemed like you know maybe suggesting people have got the uh, at the wrong end of the stick sometimes when it comes to being creative. I think absolutely. I mean, I love. I love teaching and I love teaching at the, the Society's Convention. I've done other workshops before. Mm. And as I said before, when I was posting on LinkedIn, I was focusing on creativity. And I think creativity is something that is definitely understood. But for me, creativity is freedom, really. Um, I spent 10 years working for a pharmaceutical company before I was a photographer. You know, I've got a degree in chemistry. So my background before was science and it was very process driven. Mm -hmm. Same thing day in, day out, we were screening different drugs to see what effect they would have on the body. And now to have the creativity of someone saying, here's a product, make something, make something interesting. I'm lucky mm -hmm. enough that I'm at the point now where people have seen my previous work, um, either with shoes or with dancers, and they'll say, you know, they'll come in and say, I, I'm a dancer, I want some creative pictures for my portfolio. Mm -hmm. What, what do you suggest? Go for it. Or someone saying, here's a shoe that I want 
you know, photograph to go up on my office wall, create something. Mm. And having that freedom to just be like, wow, I can, I can literally create anything here. It's fantastic, but it's also a bit overwhelming. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it can be. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, I find if I can get the client to narrow things down in a brief, I don't find that restricting. I actually find that helps with the creativity because you're more, it's more of a problem solving thing then rather than just trying to pluck ideas out of thin air. Yeah. So when a client says to me, here's something, go and create something in your style. It takes, it takes a long time to kind of narrow in exactly what it is that they want and what will be a good outcome for them. Because I could create something that I like, but it's not what they had in mind. And often mm. you need to have those conversations. You need to really drill down to find out what it is that they like mm. so you can get the best outcome for everybody. So um, other than sort of the brief like that, is there anything else that helps you to be creative? Do you need to be in a particular mindset when you start or are you one of these people that can just pick something up and just start tinkering? I think, as I said, I've listened to the podcast with Hannah. Um, I've got so many creative ideas. I've got notebooks full of little threads, little things that kind of occur to me, little things that I've seen and go, okay, well, maybe that could turn into something one day okay i'm not somebody who can just be creative at the drop of a hat on command i need Mm -hmm. to have time to let an idea develop and more often than not if i'm sat at my computer editing or i'm driving somewhere there's always something at the back of my mind going okay well you know how can we pull on this thread and Mm. what will what will that turn into so like i said i've got notebooks full both digital and physical sketches uh, i'm probably the world's worst actual artist when it comes to drawing <laughs> and sketching uh, if you've ever been to any of my talks i'm quite quite happy to share the behind the scenes pictures that i create when i first start and they are they're abysmal i'll be honest <laughs> but it's it's just getting the building blocks in place and usually it's a stick figure if it's a dancer with some lines coming out in the background uh, and then I show them the after picture and it's like, how did we get from this to this? <laughs> but in my head, that's kind of what the picture looks like. I'm just, there's no way I would ever be able to sketch it out properly. Yeah. But yeah. it's kind of like, it's just starting. Starting with something and then iterate, try it, put it out there, get the feedback. If it fails, great. You've learned something. Why did it fail? Mm. Change it, go back, put it out there, change it. And it's just, it's quite often, it's, a, it's an iterative process. It's very rare that I will put uh, a piece of work out there and people will go, wow, this is amazing. This is so creative. This is brilliant. It will quite often come back with feedback, whether it's mm-hmm. feedback you've asked for or feedback that's just been freely given by the general public. <laughs> um, and it, and it, 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 it's all taken on board. So do you find that actually... Um you've kind of left the sort of scientific approach behind or do you find that you actually do bring aspects of like a, a scientific workflow into how you now work as a photographer? I appreciate the, you know, the, the creativity as being sort of a, a slightly different aspect, but that kind of methodical uh, approach to iterating what you're doing, is that still for you? Does you still feel that it's scientific in that sort of way? I think there's definitely still some elements of that. And we talked earlier about having, how important it is to have a workflow. Mm. Uh, and when I get into Photoshop, whether I'm editing people or products, my workflow always starts out the same. You know, I will cut out the person or the product. Um, I will soften the edges. I will change the background. I will change the colors. I'll mask out each individual part mm. that I know I need to edit. If it's shoes, quite often you will need to mask out each individual part of the shoe so you can straighten uh, lines if it's person you know you need to cut out the hair so you can change hair colors if you need to or if you need to change the color of a pair of trousers mm-hmm. you mask out those individually uh, and that is always the same process and it involves quite a hefty file structure so my files are quite often like four or five gigabytes really before I've even started mm. getting into the creative side of things if that's creating a background or uh, changing the colours on a shoe or changing the colours of clothes. I'm very process driven in that I will get mm. to that point 
And mm. it's like, right, okay, everything is separated into its constituent parts. I know I've got total control over this image, over this person, over the colours in this shoe. And then that allows me to be more creative. And it, yeah. allow, it allows me to go forward from there. Because I know that if I put a background in, it's like, actually, well, these colours don't match with the colours in the image it's like well we can get, we can change colors in the background mm. or the colors in the image to be something that's more cohesive mm. so i think having a, having a science background has taught me a lot about having a process and rigidity rigidly sticking to that process until you get to a point where you're like right now i've got the freedom to be more creative yeah it's that little bit of little bit of sort of discipline that you put in first but actually then gives you much more flexibility afterwards i think doesn't it um so that kind of that kind of workflow also has the the business impact of meaning you you can estimate how long it's going to take you to do something more easily um it's 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 easier to um you know be able to make a little bit more of your time because if you're wasting too much time on a forever changing workflow you're not earning as much as you could be if you've got something consistent that's repeatable absolutely i mean when i'm editing uh, my own pictures i'm pretty terrible at just constantly going back and constantly making little changes maybe leave it a couple of days and then oh no i'll change this i'll tinker with this i'll change that i'll change this um but when i'm editing for clients i am far more strict you know, I will. Mm-hmm. I know roughly how long it will take to edit, say, eight pictures from a shoot, and I will budget in maybe two days of retouching for mm-hmm. that shoot. If that if that's how long I think it's going to take. If it's heavy composite work, then maybe two days isn't enough. But they will always be in. They will always be charged separately so that I can update the client after two days and say, okay, so we've got to this point. We're going to need another day of editing. That's an additional charge. Mm. So. And it's having these conversations ahead of time. And so they know how much time I am prepared to spend Mm. on each image. And I know how much time I've got to spend on each image. So I'm not going in and making the tiniest little micro adjustments to something that no one's ever going to see because ultimately it's going to be, you know, it might be a picture in a magazine or it might be, Mm. it might be more often than not, it's a 2000 pixel image that's going to be seen on an iPhone screen. So yeah. you don't need to be zoomed into 400% and making the tiniest little adjustments. But on my own images, I will spend hours and hours and hours doing that. Yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, it's sometimes that process of educating the client. When I get some new clients come to me, it's, um, and you sort of say, well, you know, what size are you going to be using at? The, the image at in the end is it going to be just going on the web or is it going to be you know printed as a big advert somewhere so oh well what well, does that matter you've still got to edit it anyway and you think yeah but i can leave a lot of stuff because you're not going to see it if it's only a thousand pixels on a website yeah. but if it's going to be blown up to a six foot poster you'll see everything <laughs> so there's a there's there's a big difference and it's managing those expectations and uh having the flexibility in your own processes that you can do what is needed for for the job like that absolutely i think one of the best examples of that is about six years ago uh, i was commissioned by ford to take some pictures of their racing drivers Mm -hmm. um and initially they said oh they're just going to go in the program so maybe like maybe two three inches tall i was like okay great Mm -hmm. that's fine and they were very simply shot so drivers shot against black background in black and white looking super moody it was a really great project to be involved with and then halfway through the project they said we we love how these pictures are turning out what we actually want to do now is blow them up to two meters tall and have them <laughs> printed on acrylics yeah in the, in the hospitality area at Le Mans so people are going to be walking past them maybe four or five feet away and I was like right okay that's uh, <laughs> that's going to need some additional retouching yeah and it did and it was luckily i'd shot on medium format so we had the file size and we could easily blow them up to that size but when you know your work's going to be seen by hundreds and hundreds of people who are going to be looking really closely at it it changes Mm. it changes the retouching needs quite substantially so that was probably another whole week of retouching 12 portraits to the absolute nth degree and those they were some huge files as well but ultimately, yeah, well. the the pictures the pictures turned out brilliantly, and there's pictures of 
I think Keanu Reeves was there, Brad Pitt was there, mm-hmm. stood next to these pictures, smiling and laughing. So those, Excellent. Those, yeah. those are, you know, and nobody picked up on any of the little mistakes that I spotted afterwards, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that... That, that is the thing sometimes you know a, a client can say they want one thing and then suddenly realize they want something else and uh being able to sort of shoot um with, with with these things in mind i suppose yeah medium format is one of those kind of slight fallbacks if you like when a client suddenly decides they want something bigger if you've got that bigger file in the first place it's like i've had people say suddenly do you know i'd really like like a, a banner crop here of that of the middle yeah. bit of that image and you're thinking yeah, so we're going down from like 45 megapixels to about 8, 10 or something for the bit that they decided they want a, a strip off. And then, could we print that at four foot wide on it? Anything? Oh my goodness, here we go. <laughs> so, yeah, having those kind of like fullbacks in place um, just in case <laughs> can be quite useful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the majority of my clients are never going to print stuff to two metres high. And no. if, they, if they are, they're going to tell me about that beforehand i've shot a couple of adverts before that have been used on uh tube on the tube platforms uh, mm-hmm. just on the uh, electronic boards uh, and those again those have been quite retouch intensive mm. but the majority of my work is for web and socials occasionally yeah. they'll go, occasionally they'll go into print magazines but again that's quite rare these days mm. so i mean as part of your toolbox um you obviously use CGI, and that's kind of, in a way, I suppose, how we started to get to know each other because we were both experimenting with it uh, for our product photography to create yeah. sets and so on, especially during lockdown when you just couldn't get out and shop and yeah. get all of things, really. Um, so, I mean, that's something that we're both still using. I suppose a lot of people are kind of wondering about the developments with, it, with AI and so on, whether that's something that can be used to help creativity, or others are thinking... No, it's just killing it. It's taking the fun bit away. It's taking the creativity away. It's just giving it over to machines so it can be done cheaply. Uh, what do you think about that? Is it a tool that you would consider embracing for your creativity or is it something that you're worried about? So I can totally see it from both sides. Uh, the AI discussion is only going to rage on and on, especially now with the video, uh, text to video yeah. uh, coming out. Using AI, I do use AI a lot. I use ChatGPT a lot more than Midjourney in my business. I use Midjourney um, occasionally for ideation and just, again, starting those creative ideas flowing. Mm. If I've got an idea of something in my head which I can't sketch out, then I will throw some words into Midjourney and see what it comes up with. And maybe I'll take that idea and change something throw it back in, get it to describe mm. the image, throw it back in. And then maybe I've got maybe 16, 20, 40 images that mm-hmm. you can look at and go, okay, well, I like that element of this and I like that part of this. Uh, and then in my head, maybe I'm starting to put those together in a more unique way. And then maybe mm. it's something I'll take over into Photoshop and I'll use CGI to create those elements myself. Mm. Um, and what a lot of photographers actually don't necessarily understand is the difference between CGI and AI. Mm-hmm. And so that's something I've really had to uh, ed- start, start to educate people on, especially photographers when I'm, when I'm teaching. Um, CGI and AI are very, two very different things. Absolutely. Uh, and obviously, yeah. if you're using CGI, you can use that in your own images and you can then put those into competitions and qualifications. But obviously, AI is very much not allowed. Well, yeah, I've seen and some some competitions as well that are now not allowing CGI even. And you think, well, I just wonder whether there's just this everything's been lumped into one pot. And they just think yeah. if it's generated by a computer, well, it's artificial intelligence. It's generated by a computer. There you go. Can't use that. <laughs> not quite I, the same thing. <laughs> I can I can see why they would do that, because I can see that some people might want to keep the traditional method mm. of photography alive and have everything shot by a person, by a camera. I totally see that, that's totally fair. But for me, I can create things that cannot be created just by using the camera. Mm. And if I can do that, then I know my work can stand out. And I know in the advertising industry, there are so many people that are using CGI, Mm. more so than you would think. 
actually. Yeah. A lot of yeah. a lot of the advertising images that you see, there will be CGI elements to it. And you might not even notice. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the point. Yep. Uh, obviously those things like that I create, the the dance images that I shot recently, some of those are very obviously CGI. But some of the product work that I've done where I've built a set um and then photographed a bottle uh, and then placed it in this set people haven't really haven't even noticed that it's mm. been cgi so yeah well i mean you know you look at films these days and uh you know even the the weirdest kind of fantasy and sci-fi stuff yeah. can look very realistic and uh think well that's that's exactly what you can then do with a still image you can produce something that does look very real and i think even if competitions don't choose to allow it for obvious reasons and so on i think if you're going to be working in the advertising world and particularly in the product world if you don't have any access to cgi and you're relying on building stuff by hand all the time set building it's going to be getting harder and harder to compete Um, building a set is expensive and once you've built it and shot the stuff if you have to then take it down to build your next set well if they want something moved or changed it's tricky you know whereas with cgi you can have it all sitting there you can tweak it and come back to it and um it it saves it saves an awful lot of waste as well from an environmental point of view you're not chucking out blocks of mdf and so on that you've been painting so i would i would from a personal point of view i see it hard to imagine uh commercial especially product kind of work without cgi being an element in the future I mean, uh, I've got clients that, not necessarily clients, but companies that I've approached and said, you know, I can do some photography work, we can incorporate some CGI, mm. uh, and they've got actually, we've just recently outsourced it all to CGI. So they're, mm. they're having their products created as 3D renders, mm. and then they're just dropping them into 3D backgrounds, and for them that works because they're just simple simple products, they're very easy to create, Yeah. Um, and once they've done that, they've got those products they can change the colors at the drop of a hat they can mm. put them in the simple still life backgrounds and it's like okay that's fair enough and the automotive industry has obviously been going that way for quite a while mm. um, quite often you'll have full 3d renders of cars that are mm. then put into photograph backgrounds or vice versa you quite often have a cgi background and photograph an actual car and pop it in that way so if, yes. it, it is out there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And if anybody has ever tried photographing a car, then they'll know what one of the reasons why is reflections. <laughs> you know, trying to get nice, clean reflections in a car or anything that's totally shiny like that can be an absolute headache. So, yeah, when you see these beautifully clean car images, yeah, some of them are still photographed and retouched. Yeah. Some of them aren't. <laughs> yeah. that's, the one, that's the good thing I love about trainers is they're very rarely reflective. <laughs> good point yeah a lot of matte surfaces there absolutely <laughs> um, but for me AI is a tool it's like anything else but the joy of making an image for me is the process is the creation is the starting from something taking however many hours however many days and getting something at the end that you can say I created this I put my heart and soul into this and I made the mistakes and I made the changes and I'm happy with how it's come out. There's a little piece of me in this mm. image. Whereas if I just type in a shoe on a sculpture, mm. click a button and it's like, oh, here's four examples. Oh, great. Done. Brilliant. Move on to something else. Mm. No, the the joy is in the creation for me. Yeah. So the, um, the these piles of notebooks with ideas that you've got in there, then is there anything that you think you might be bringing out of there in the coming months? Anything that we can look forward to that you've already um, sort of earmarked for, yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to develop that idea now? So when I passed my fellowship uh, in January, within about 10 minutes of me walking out of that room, someone had said, oh, well, well done, what's next? <laughs> and it just sent my mind spiraling. It's like, what's next? You know, I've spent five years working towards getting to mm. this point. What's next? I don't know what's next. I have no clue. But then within a couple more hours, I was like, well, what is next? So it kind of started me thinking. And yeah, there are definitely some ideas, some things I want to develop this year. Um, I've had a series of images in my head for 
ages now about sort of mental health mm-hmm. and more storytelling and awareness around the mental health side of things. Uh, I'm going to be pursuing more dance images, more sort of location-based dance mm-hmm. images, still incorporating, again, CGI and storytelling, but taking it out of the studio onto location. Mm. Um, so there's, there's always uh, a lot of things floating around my head. And actually a new, a big new project that I'm starting this year is I'm going to be starting to sell art prints based off uh, sneakers. So the image of mine that won Advertising Photographer of the Year, yeah. that is going to be the first of a limited edition uh, release of prints. I'm building a new website as we speak. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's kind of that's going to be a, a pretty big thing this year, building, building a community of uh, sneakerheads who like to collect mm. art. It's a very niche area, but mm-hmm. I know there's a huge market out there for it. Yeah, I'm judging by the price of some of those uh, custom trainers. You think, yeah, there's some people with some cash out there with it as well. So, where's 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 the best place to sort of follow follow you with this? Is it your your website? Will we um, see some of your uh, developments there or on social? Um, would you perhaps just like to give the listeners um, sort of key places to follow your work from? Yeah, absolutely. So, my creative website is just neilshearer.com. Um, that is basically more of a portfolio site so that's where all my newest shiny images go um, you can find me on Instagram Neil Shearer underscore photography um, again that's where most of my work will see and anything that gets released will get released onto Instagram and it'll be linked back from there to all the other places Excellent. Well, I'll put um, links to these uh, on the page with the podcast when that goes live. Uh, thank you very much, Neil, for taking the time out to talk to us today. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah, Neil, it's been great getting to know a bit more of your story and to hear a bit more about what, what gets you passionate and uh, what lies behind your work. Thanks very much for coming on. Fantastic, Joe. Really appreciate the chance to get to chat about this. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And don't forget to like and follow the Focus Professional podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Yeah.